Welcome to the Unleash Podcast, connecting stories with creative ideas to help you live out your passion. I'm your host, Derek Smith. And today on the show, I have a good friend of mine. We've been friends for a couple of years. Our kids are our friends. His name is Charles Curl, and I am excited to have you, man. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to uh, to uh, talk a little bit today. Yeah. Um, Charles, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you probably have listened to the first episode on historically black colleges and universities. And Charles, you went to a HBCU. And where was that? That's Howard University, man. The Howard University. The Howard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Professor Colin Adams, if you're listening, uh, you what Charles just said, Hampton University is not the HU. <laughs> That's right, man. It's not Howard Institute or anything like that. It's Howard University. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, a little jab at the, at the Hampton people. <laughs> yeah. I love it, dude. That's good. Yeah, man. Um, so, Charles, you are a physicist. Say it because uh, I cannot say it right. All right. Yeah. I am a medical physicist. Medical physicist. Yep. Yes. Um, so I wanted to have you on the show, especially during Black History Month, um, because I yeah. wanted to highlight many African-American men and women that I know who are in different careers, living out their passions mm. um, and, and changing lives. And so I wanted to have you on mm. just to talk a little bit about what it is that you actually do. Um, how did you get into that whole field and and how did you get this passion um, in a sense to do what it is that you do? Yeah, man. So, I mean, physics itself is basically the study of matter and forces and energies and how they interact with matter. So what I do where the word medical comes in is it's taking uh, the science of physics and applying it to specifically in my field to treating people with cancer and how to cure their cancer based on uh, using physics and high energy radiation to do that. Um, so that's, that's what I do. Um, and specifically, I, I do like quality assurance work on the machines that treat cancer patients. And I check all the calculations to make sure it's accurate before the patient comes in and gets the treatment. Oh, wow. So yeah, you're, you're just brilliant. Um, you no, say calculations, and I'm like, man, I can barely do my budget. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds real fancy. It's mainly computers that are doing all the work, honestly. Um, and then we're just kind of like checking it after to make sure everything makes sense and it's safe. Um, so, yeah, I love it, man. I've been doing it for now for about 20 years. Um, the way I, I kind of fell into it, honestly, because back then it really wasn't a well-known field. Um, my background was in mechanical engineering. That's what I went to Howard for. So I did four years in mechanical engineering. Um, and then when I was about to graduate, you know, I was one of them kids where I was like, I don't see myself kind of going the corporate route. You know, the idea of wearing a suit, which is funny now because I wear a shirt and tie every day. <laughs> um, but back then I couldn't kind of fathom being in that environment. And I just heard, you know, probably extreme stories of people who, worked for 30 years on car door designs and it just sounded kind of boring to me, even though I think it's, I know better now that it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, but anyway, at the time, my brother-in-law, he was doing his rotations um, for med school through the different departments in the hospital to kind of get a feel for which direction he wanted to go. And so when he went through radiation oncology, he saw these physicists in the department who were doing all the stuff that I do now and he recalled back that in high school, like that was my favorite subject was physics. 
And so he was like, hey, look, man, I know you majored in engineering, but, um, and even though I, I, even though I know from high school that you love physics, and he's like, I think you might want to consider this field called medical physics because like you love technology, you love physics, you're creative. And he's like, this field kind of brings all those different elements together and I could totally see you enjoying it. So that's what prompted me to look into it. So I ended up applying to ECU's program and that's how I ended up getting into the field I'm in now. Wow, how long was ECU's program? Did you have to do like an additional four years? No, so I did a master's. So it was like two more years um, or almost like two and a half because I had to get there early to do some prerequisite courses to end up getting into the program since I was coming from engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was basically, it's a two year program for a master's degree. Okay. So yeah, so not too long. That's cool. Yeah, what's interesting is uh, one of the reasons that I created this podcast was just this desire out of my own heart is that I enjoy hearing people's stories and I enjoy like trying to like push people to be what all they believe that they're called to be. Mm. And one thing from the previous podcast, it seems to be like glue for me that's, that's like a sticking point is that many of the guests didn't just like wake up one day and say, this is the field that I'm going to be in. It was similar to your story of like, I was talking to someone and they told me I might be good at this. So I was interested in this. And then that kind of funneled them through this process of getting to to where they are. Mm. Um, So would you say that what you're doing right now was not like your dream job, your passion, you know, mm. 25 years ago when you were, was it 25 years ago when you were finishing college? I know you're way older than me, but like, Thank you, Derek. I, man, you just had to throw that little jab in there. <laughs> <laughs> what you did there, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it was 25 years ago, man. Um, I guess you could almost say like, yeah, it was 25 because I, I started in 95, man, after I graduated high school. So, um, yeah, no, totally true, man. Even for me, it's almost like a meandering road is, is how I put it. So, you know, this might be the longest segment of me talking here to explain it. But, you know, for me, I'd say I grew up in a household where both my parents really stressed education. Uh, My mom was an educator. She was a teacher. And so, you know, education was really important to her. But even more so, I think, um, I mean, I think she was probably criticized for this. um, But she taught us to really, like, think for ourselves, to speak up for ourselves, and to think, like, uh, creatively and analytically. Um, mm. She would just challenge us with questions. Well, why does it work that way? You know? And I think that kind of like training for a kid almost leads them maybe to more of a scientific type of background, or at least it did for me. Wow. Because um, it really made me curious about things. So that would, that's where I would say like the start of it was. Otherwise, I'd say, you know, we, I didn't grow up in a science family. Like my dad was in computers, but he was always more of a business-minded guy, honestly. So he would come home. He never talked about his computer programming because um, I don't think he really loved it. Um, but besides that, I feel like my other exposure was just TV and media. You know, I remember watching cartoons every Saturday morning when they used to come on for like four hours every Saturday. And there used to be a show that would come on called Mr. Wizard's World on Nickelodeon. He would do these science experiments. And I didn't know at the time that a lot of the stuff he was doing was physics. Um, but I remember thinking, man, this is like amazing. Like it was almost like magic, you know, cause I didn't know how this stuff to work, these forces and magnetism and electricity. And I just remember being so intrigued by these little science experiments he would do. Um, 
So that would be like the second thing. And then the third thing, and honestly, this is probably the biggest for me, man, is when I was in high school, um, I had a wonderful teacher um, in my physics class who really, it was, he really changed my life, honestly. Um, it was the first time I can remember like wanting to go to a particular class, like not being able to wait to get back to that class again because it, he wasn't just teaching us physics. He, he made us think beyond just science and would propose while he was teaching a lot of questions to us about the world. You know, it overlapped with science, but he would kind of branch off into these other philosophical conversations about, hmm. you know, water shortages. And, you know, we'd be talking about pressure and then he would talk about how water is transported from one point to another. Then he would talk about water shortages in certain parts of the world. And then he would go into a whole conversation about how could we solve these problems like globally to get people the water that they need? And why are we in this situation where some people have water and some people don't, you know? And then we would go off and branch for 30 minutes talking about it from more of like a philosophical, like policy conversation, man. It was fantastic. And so even beyond that, he just, he was like woke before woke was a thing, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and I realized even at a young age, he was trying to kind of push me as a minority to see that I could identify as a scientist. Um, and he just really encouraged me, man, to like pursue it. And, and he told me, you know, you've got so much potential and that's really what I needed. I needed that, man, even as a minority for somebody to really kind of engage me and encourage me in that way to, to, to tell me you can do this. Like you're just as good as the other students in here, you know, and that, that's why I say it was life-changing for me. Yeah. So. Was this um, teacher, was he, uh, was he black? No, he was a white guy, man. And, and honestly, I've had a similar conversation with somebody recently in so many ways, and this is so appropriate for the times we live in, I feel like right now, um, that kind of encouragement coming from him, almost in some ways, maybe especially for young black men can mean even more. Mm. It can be even more impactful because it's somebody who is telling you that doesn't look like you and maybe doesn't identify with you culturally, um, that they believe in you. Yeah. And, and that, you know, so often like our, um, our mindset as minorities, I think it was James Baldwin who said this man, like, um, sometimes as minorities where the, the greatest enemy is within because sometimes we are, our own identity is shaped by how we think other people perceive us. And so we live our lives through a lens of the way other people are perceiving us instead of just identifying as who we are. And um, I think he helped me to kind of see like, without saying it, which is even, which is also powerful, yes, you're a black man, but yes, you're also a scientist. And I see that in you, you know? Say that quote by James one more time. Yeah, he just, he was stating that, I, I think he was in an interview with Nikki Giovanni, man, um, if I remember right. And he just said, you know, one of the greatest, there, there's outside forces that are the enemy of, of minority folks and particularly black folks in America. But he said, maybe even more so, the greater enemy is within because we, we allow other people's perceptions of us 
to shape how we see ourselves. Yeah, man. You know? And that we gotta we gotta battle that and overcome that perception that sometimes is like a false, man, I don't know what you call it, like almost like a false force or false enemy that exists, but maybe not to the to the extent or with the intensity that we make it out to be. Man, that's strong. So, we allow other people's perceptions to shape our identity in a sense, how we view ourselves. I know that that's true of me at times, how I perceive mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy because I perceive that people are perceiving these things. Yeah. Me, and then I try to shift. I try to alter who yeah. I am. I'm not myself when I'm in, in certain environments and in certain spaces. Absolutely. So I think that's for the listeners. That's just a, a real critical principle is. Yeah to not allow what you perceive others are perceiving about you to shape your identity. And then what I love is that you had a white teacher call mm -hmm. out things that were inside of you and yeah. really call you to something that right. God is, has placed inside of you. And so to our listeners, we need to be surrounded by people who can see the gifts and talents and the, the skills that are within us and then be able to call those things out of us to encourage mm. us. Um, that's great, man. So I yeah. think that, that that's huge, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. One great example to give that context. I always think back to this, man. He, he said something to me one time that really stuck with me. I cannot recall what we were talking about, but like I said, he used to have these philosophical conversations, sometimes during class, sometimes after. And um, I remember one time it was me and him one-on-one -on -one talking about something. And I was kind of getting woke myself at that time, reading and just trying to, you know, learn and kind of grow as a, into an adult. And I remember saying something to him one time, and maybe it was something along the lines of like, uh, in a negative sense of sort of like, just as a general statement, I'll just say, maybe it was along the lines of like, um, you know, that's what they say about certain people, or that's what they believe. And he stopped me before I could even finish. And he looked at me and he said, he said, now, Charles, um, let me ask you a question. He said, who, who is they? Can you tell me who they are? Because he said, you know, I hear a lot of times people use this word they. And he said, I usually, when I ask people who they are, they can't tell me who they are, you know? And he said, so you got to be careful about creating sort of this false narrative in your mind of this they, when oftentimes the they doesn't exist, mm. you know? And you, you're convincing yourself of the they and they are holding you back and they, they are nobody in your life. Like they, there is no they saying that to you, that you can't be a scientist, that you can't be a physicist like anybody else in this classroom. So, so why are you staking your identity in this they? It was powerful, man. I never forgot that, you know, like, yeah. Man, Charles, that's some good stuff. I'm all over the place now, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited yeah. <laughs> because you're, you're talking about this, this, this day. Um, yeah. That is true. I know it's probably true for our listeners, how um, we've created this false narrative um, that we don't pay attention to. And, and slowly it, it kind of defines us. And so um, mm. three, three questions that came to my mind as you were talking, the first one was, who are you to the listeners? Like, who are you? Mm. Like, how do you mm. define yourself? Do you define yourself by your ethnic uh, ethnicity, your, your gender? Like, who are you? And then number two, 
who is shaping your identity? Who's like shaping who you are? And then lastly, who are you allowing to kind of like define you? And so it just, those three Mm. questions just make me think like, man, we need to be confident in who we are and know our identity. That way we don't have the they's and we don't have people defining us and trying to shape us into to someone or something that we're not. Um, but Charles, I, I want to shift a little bit because you're hitting on some things. You're, you're, you're a black man in the, in the field of like medicine and physics. You had a mm-hmm. white professor that kind of like called these things out in you, but then you tried right. to a historically black college and university where you were surrounded by people who look like you and surrounded mm-hmm. by people who are like culturally similar to you. Yeah. I want to know what your experience was like being at a historically black college. And then I have some, some follow-up questions as it pertains to your current field. Mm, man. So yeah, I guess to start off on what it was like to be at HBCU. Um, honestly, I feel like I didn't even really understand the value of it until I left there. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I think going in, I had in my mind that it was going to be like a different world. And I was gonna be sitting around having these deep conversations with people about black culture and the world. And, and we did, I had a lot of that, man. But um, I think I kind of went in with sort of this false notion of what it was gonna be. And when it wasn't quite exactly the fantasy idea I had in my mind, I feel like I, I, I ranked it lower than I should have. Mm. But then years later, now reflecting back, it was life-changing for me, man. Um, I tell people when they ask me a similar question about like, when, when, they, when they ask me, well, what do you mean by how it changed your life? What part of it like shaped you into being like a life-changing event? Um, I often tell people to me, looking back now as like an actual adult, the most powerful thing about it for me was going into an engineering building and being taught by people who look like me. Yes. And that without without pointing to some black history class or I mean going to the games and the marching band I mean all that stuff is great but I think the most powerful thing was I saw myself in the people who were teaching me and it and it let me know without anybody saying it explicitly that I could be just like them like I was capable of being a professor at a college if I wanted to be Mm. Um, some of them own their own businesses and firms, architectural firms in DC. And I saw myself as possibly being like that. You know, I left there knowing I can be like the people that I aspired to be in my mind. Wow. And that, that alone was just life-changing for me. I think it gave me a confidence, if not almost like maybe, Maybe compared to some people, I don't want to say all because I don't want to throw a blanket out there on it, but maybe people who do go to, to predominantly white institutions, a PWI, maybe it sometimes gives you almost like a little chip on your shoulder where you feel like I'm just as deserving and just as capable of achieving the same things as my peers. Um, and I think that's a unique perspective that I can only have gotten at an HBCU to come out of their thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And having my identity kind of shaped by that mindset. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I can, re- I can relate to that. That my experience of, and you know, being able to take an African American history class by African American professor at a historically black college and university, and seeing a lot I, of people who who look like me and. <clears throat> 
embracing my 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 culture. Um, right. So HBCU context, predominantly African American. Yeah, you are um, in the field of, of science and medicine, mm-hmm. and um, you're probably I don't want to assume you're probably in a minority. It's probably majority. What is the I'm wondering if you're a minority in this field. Would I'm you- not because because physics is so infrequently kind of pursued by the dominant culture is mainly, you know, other cultures that make up most of the field. And just wow. to be more explicit about it, instead of it being predominantly white within the, just within my physics kind of group, it's mainly minorities. So it's Asians, it's Indian people, um, and then there are white people as well, but it's pretty diverse actually. Um, yeah, now, at, and now at other levels outside of the physics world, you know, then I would say in general, yes, like I'm, I'm definitely a minority and especially being African-American for sure. Like I'm the only African-American on staff in the phys- physics group right now. So, um, and I have been for 20 years. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there hasn't been another another person. So let me ask you, are there have you had some they moments um, as an adult in your current field where you mm. feel like, man, they are thinking this about me. They are attributing these particular characteristics or stereotypes to me. And you found yourself trying to debunk mm. those stereotypes or be someone you're not. Have you had any they moments recently? Yeah, absolutely. Some were real, like we talked about earlier. Some were probably self-imposed in my mind. Um, I think it's always sort of a combination of both. Um, I remember first starting off in the field, we had gone to a Christmas dinner one time. It was me me and my wife, and I was sitting at the table with all the other physicists. And one of the docs came along and was like, and I was new, but I was sitting with the group, and they were like, let's get a picture with all the physics staff. And I can't remember how it went down, but they didn't know I was a physicist, man. Like they, they just assumed that I was not. And I realized quickly, like they weren't including me in the photo or like they were kind of grabbing people, come on, come on, come on. And like, they weren't including me. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like they think I'm not a physicist, right? And I knew I was new. So you start making up excuses in your mind. But you, you live that experience as a black person where you're yes. kind of expecting it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, I also had a, a guy, a work, a colleague, he was another physicist who I work with. And I don't think this was the best thing. I'm not sure why he shared it with me. But I know right after I got hired, he told me, you know, we really had to like fight to, to get you on staff here. Like we really kind of had to go to battle. And they had seen I was very capable because I had worked that summer before I got employed full time with them. But it just made me feel like, man, like what what ha- what was going down that made them have to fight so hard to get me on staff, you know, as a physicist? Um, and I'm sure it was probably just people's perceptions, man. Um, so I, I could go on and on, man. I've had plenty of they moments. I've had plenty of moments where I felt like I didn't deserve to be in the room or in the conversation. Um, but I'd say by the grace of God, man, at the same time now, with the amount of experience that I have, I'm definitely a person that is sought after for answers. And I think I've been able to kind of like, in a very um, natural way, kind of overcome a lot of those perceptions, which I hope leaves a legacy 
for people in the future who are coming after me to kind of break down those stereotypes, man. Mm, yeah. Kind of my hope. And I live, I definitely live with that sort of burden on my shoulders in everything I do, which is probably sometimes good and bad, but, but feeling like I know I'm an example and I have to, I have to perform to, to prove that I belong here, you know? Mm. So it's, it's probably a blessing and a curse because it's blessed me, I think, to achieve a lot and to be a person who's sought after for information and the go-to person. But at the same time, people don't know that you also kind of wear that mask, you know, as a black man, that deep down inside, you still have those self-doubts and, yeah. and that kind of is driving you to perform, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's real, man. Um, so, Charles, one of the, the the main goal of the podcast really is to to have stories like yours, but then to have, you know, some some practical ways people can live out their passion. The whole goal is to encourage mm. and inspire people to their passion. So a question specifically to people who are specifically black in the science mm. and medicine field who have experienced what you experienced or may come up against some of the, the challenges that you have experienced, how do mm. they, they overcome that they, you know, how do wow. they overcome their, their they, what's, what's a way they can fight against that? So tagging back on to what, where we just came from and I'll come right back to this, but I want to add, honestly, I think the real anchor for me and overcoming the they is, is my ultimate identity being in Christ. Mm. And that is really the, that's the real saving grace. I think I've said a few times the word grace, that that's it. Um, without that, I think the they thing could become uh, a hole that I can't escape myself. You know what I'm saying? But, but having Christ as the ultimate example of me who suffered and died on the cross for my sins, you know, and, and went through everything that I'm going through and more, just is proof that the same God that lived in Christ lives in me. And that if he had the power to overcome these things, you know, the power of the world, I have that same power in me to overcome it. So, so honestly, that would be my encouragement to your listeners is like, that's, that's the ultimate truth. You know, we talked about a lot of different things today, but honestly, to, to, to overcome we don't really have the strength of the power within ourselves. There's no teacher you, that you can find who can change your life. Um, it, it doesn't mean that they won't have an impact, but what I, I guess what I'm getting at, even in my context is like, I had that teacher who really had an impact on my life, but ultimately it was, it was God and the Holy Spirit working through me that really allowed me to mm -hmm. take what he said, apply it to my life and really see the fruit of it down the road to where I didn't allow the burdens that the world often places on us to become my identity. I could mm. walk in my own identity in Christ and, uh, and overcome, you know, by the power of God. So that's it. My yeah. Do not allow the burdens of the world to shape your identity. You got I it. Think, I think that that's it. Do not allow the burdens of the world to shape your identity. So mm. it's key that you, you know who you are. You know, if Christ, if God says you are loved, you are good enough, you are accepted, you're more than enough, you're valuable. Yeah. 
if God's word says these things about us, then why do we spend so much energy and so much time trying to get other people to, to say these things about us when the creator yeah. of the universe has already <laughs> right. said that? And so yeah. I care more about what God says about me as opposed to, well, I don't often. I care more about what people say about me rather than what the creator of the world has said. And so right. I think that's good, man. I think I think that's really good and, and helpful um, for yeah. our, our listeners. Charles, in the last minute that we have, man, anything else you want to encourage people in the medicine science world with? Um, before mm. You have one word of encouragement, mm. like Asian, Latino, Hispanic, any ethnicity. Um, how would you help them? Yeah, I would say um, find what you love and what you're naturally good at. Um, could be supernatural gifts you're given in, in terms of a career and a vocation. You have to find something that you just love and you're passionate about and pursue that thing. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Um, don't let anybody dissuade you from what you feel like God's called you to. Um, and then endure. You just have to be persistent and endure. So, you know, I've come, I've overcome plenty of things at work and in my life. Um, maybe not nearly as hard as I know some other people's stories are, but nonetheless, um, I've stayed the course, you know, um, even when times got difficult in trying to pursue this through my schooling or my career, I just stayed with it. And that also, in the end, I'd say, that's where faith in God comes in. Because again, he's gonna be the one that helps you to endure um, uh, and, and to stay the course so that you don't quit before uh, you really see his promises come true. Mm. That'd be my encouragement, man. That's good, man. Stay the course, endure, persevere. The reward is worth it. That's there you good. go. Charles, thanks for your time on the show today, man. This was good. I'm going to talk for, for another hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get you back, man. But I, I appreciate you um, being on the show today, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. Have a great one. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Unleashed Podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the Unleashed Podcast 2020. There you will find more episodes and more information about the show. As always, share this podcast with a friend or tell a friend. Thank you for listening.